Last Sunday was different and good, and uh, Pastor Randy brought a real fatherly message, encouraging us to seek the deeper things of God and to really press in uh, to His purposes for our for our life and and for our and for the church's lifetime. And afterwards, he shared some incredibly encouraging uh, words with my wife and I at lunch, and uh, we hope to just. Uh, in time, unpack some of that for, for us. But the week before that, I, I spoke on uh, joy and I spoke on peace and how to have true joy and true peace in the midst of life, in the midst of a real challenging, sometimes devastating, traumatic, sometimes exhilarating and adventurous, sometimes you know hopeful, sometimes not so much hopeful life, real life. And... Um, I, th- I decided to continue kind of on that and, and talk more about some essentials that we need in our Christian walk in order to, um, to stay grounded, uh, you know, when, when life starts hitting, when life starts getting real, when, when we're having to make decisions about things and it impacts our lifestyles, it impacts the decisions that, are, you know, that touch our pockets, that touch our children. Um, it impacts decisions that uh, or, you know, will, will, will determine our futures, their futures. You know, the Bible is really written for those kinds of scenarios. It's written for real life. It's not written for to bring you out of real life to kind of interact with it a little bit, you know, every now and then, and then go, oh, that was nice and, you know, fun, but, you know, let's get back to reality. <laughs> Isn't that how often, you know, we, we, we think, uh, you know, yes, church on Sunday, uh, you know, that was great, but, you know, Monday is, is where, it, you know, Monday is where it really boils down to well, whether I'm going to um, agree with what I heard on Sunday or not. You know, the one guy said, you know, in the business world, uh, you know, profit is, a, or your turnover is, is, is vanity, and your profit is, is sanity, but cash flow is reality. You know, <laughs> if you don't have cash flow, your business is, it's tough. It's tough no matter what your profit margin is. You have to, you first have to get there, <laughs> and cash flow helps you get there. Um, and that's often how we, we view, you know, the Bible and Christianity. It's like, oh, you know, that's just vanity. If it only could be that way. It really can be that way. But the reason why it often isn't that way is because we're not applying it actually to our life styles. We think that, hey, we've got this future planning thing all figured out. You know, don't worry, God, I got this. You know, I have my plan of how I'm going to raise my kids, how I'm going to look after them, how I'm going to get them going in life. And I don't need you to speak into that. In fact, I just need you to kind of, you know, leave me to do that on my own. And uh, I'm, you know, and we do that with our, with our, with our, with our finances as well. I don't normally stutter. I don't know why I did that just now. <laughs> I listen, actually, I listened to a comedian this weekend uh, who stutters, you know, and, and he makes a great fun experience about it. Um, <clears throat> it's not going to be fun for us if I keep on stuttering. So can you, somebody else please pray for me? God wants your life to echo what he has written in his word. Not the do's and the don'ts and the the can'ts and the have-tos. The outcomes that he's promised in scripture. He wants your life to echo that. 
In order for your life to echo that, in order for your life to produce the kingdom product, you have to follow the kingdom's way of life. God's kingdom is a government. It is not a religion. It is not just a faith system that you adhere to to define to you what's good and what's bad. No, it actually defines to you what's life and what's death. And if you follow the kingdom's way of doing, if you follow the blueprint of the government of the kingdom of God, the kingdom manifests in your life. The kingdom of life gets to change your life into its nature, character. But the more we keep bucking that, the more we keep resisting the kingdom's way and try to do it our own way, the more we are dependent on our own plans, vices. And how many of you know we're just not clever enough (laughs) to produce a great result in every aspect of our lives? And so often we find that, you know, when we do try to go at it our own way, we, we fail. And, and that leads to disillusionment because, God, where were you? God, where were you? Why did this all happen to me? And so if you've been there, I want to invite you to listen to last week's, no, two weeks back's message. But why can't I just have peace and joy? Because it speaks into that aspect that often it is not because of God, but it's because of our own unwillingness to follow him that we find ourselves in these situations. But we also do find ourselves in situations of despair and hopelessness sometimes because we didn't do anything wrong, but just because life happened to us, right? This is real life. In this life, people, you know, unfortunately die. People die because of accidents. People die because of bad decisions. And it's interesting how, you know, in the Bible, you can see that sometimes things happen, not because God desired it, but simply because he designed this world to be able to work that way. And so we're often to blame for the things that happen to us. And we're often to blame for the things that happen to people around us. And all of this caused us to be challenged. It causes afflictions. It causes challenges. Sometimes it causes trauma, hurt that lasts and stays with us for a very long time. Sometimes it manifests in the area of relationships where we are, you know, hopeful about something, but then unfortunately that relationship ends up and it's break and it breaks down and it causes a whole riveting and escalating effect throughout the whole rest of our lives that we have to deal with the fact that this relationship didn't work. And all of this can make us lose our hope. It can make us feel like, man, I don't know how I can recover from this. How many of you have been in a place where you've just been hopeless? Just didn't know, how can I stand back up after this? If you've not been there, God bless you. I trust with you that you never have to get to that space. And today's message will help, definitely. It helps to keep hope alive and and just let me say how all over this whole day Jesus is like when I worked on this message I I actually had no idea what songs we were going to sing today and today's message is how can I find hope again and three out of our four songs were about hope (laughs) goodness um and um disclaimer I do work out the the actual song lists at well at this point but I worked them out a month ago (laughs) And when I worked on the message, I didn't review it. And it was like the Holy Spirit was just keeping me in sync with what we needed to speak on today. So 
Let's call them summer essentials, shall we? Peace, joy, and hope. And let's dive into hope today. Romans 5, verse 2 to 5 says the following. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Let me just stop right there. We miss those verses and they're so important if if we don't delve into what it really means. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. What is the glory of God that we are supposed to be boasting into? Here's what it is in real simple terms. It's the hope that God's will will come and manifest in my environment. The glory of God, the Bible talks about, is the weight of God. And if you can imagine a, a mold that's a weight and a lump of wet clay, and the mold presses down on the clay and it has a pattern, what happens to the clay? It assumes the pattern of the mold, right? And so that's the glory of God. When the glory of God comes on us, and the glory of God is the kingdom of God. It's the light of God. Doxa, which means light. But light really means the understanding of who God is. It's becoming awake to who God is and how amazing He is. And if we follow what He wants and how He wants us, then that manifests back into changing us into the image of Christ that he says in Ephesians 4, we are destined for, the church of God is destined for. And so it's as we behold his glory that we come under the influence of his glory and we start looking, acting, uh, thinking more like he does. And as we start, as that starts happening, our lives start producing more of his desires and his hopes, more of his way and more of his pattern. You see how that works? But it's us, it's you and my job to, to behold the glory, to, 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 to press into the glory of God. Knowing and understanding what the glory of God is, therefore we can boast in that, that no matter what our circumstances look like now, it will change. Come on. It'll change as we behold the glory of God. The glory comes on us and it impresses on us the image, the will of God, and it starts producing the kingdom of God in our lives. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. So if we hope in the glory of God, we also glory in our sufferings because we know. What does suffering do often? Pressure, right? It creates pressure around us. It's forcing us into a specific direction. It wants to It's wanting to cause us to do things a certain way. Now it says here, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Why does suffering produce perseverance? It's because as you are beholding the glory of God and the pressure of life from the outside starts pushing in on you, but you beholding the glory of God, the glory of God starts pressing out from from the inside. And it starts expanding against and and resisting the forces of the world around you that's trying to conform you into its image, get you to try and do life according to its way. And it's pressing against that forces, those forces from the outside, and it's expanding your strength. It's growing your strength to stick to the glory and the pattern and the principle of God. And as you do that, it produces in you things. It produces perseverance. And you know what perseverance produces? It produces character. 
If you stick to it, if you continue to behold the glory of God and continue to follow with His ideas, not our own ideas, uh, know Him in everything, trust not in your own understanding, but lean on the Lord's understanding of things. All of that does, what the Bible says it does, what it does is increases the glory of God on the inside and it presses out to the, to the, to the external forces and says, no, no, you're not getting your way. God's getting His way in my life. God's way is going to be my way. It produces character. And the more you do that, all of a sudden, the more you start doing things according to God's will. You start, you start making decisions based on your conviction that He is in control of your life, that He has the answers. You start, you start reacting to circumstances, things that go wrong, bad news that comes according to His will and desire for you. You don't have to react in old ways. You don't have to react anger again. You don't have to react in fear again because the glory of God on the inside is showing you a new way how to do that. It produces character and guess what character produces? It produces hope. Character produces hope. And listen to what the Bible says about hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, it is permanent. The Holy Spirit's not about to leave your heart, okay? And through that love that's resident, hope becomes resident. And hope is so important. Hope is the one thing in this world that you cannot live without. Hope causes you to look to the future and dare to believe. In fact, in an atmosphere of hope, people find it easy to believe. But where there's no hope, it's almost impossible to believe. Hope is the atmosphere in which faith thrives. Where there's hopefulness, faith is easy and it's accessible. And so we have to work towards having hope reestablished in our lives and we have to fight for hope to stay in our lives. We can't become cynical. I want to invite you to go and listen to your own self, right, when you speak this week. How many cynical statements do you make? Oh, this is probably all for nothing. You know what? I, oh, I got a raise, but you know what? Biden's taking the rest anyways. <laughs> cynical. That's not going to get you nowhere. I should say anywhere because I'm not from here, but you know, I want you to understand me. <laughs> Yo. Yo. Okay, so sometimes we get into this place of just brokenness because real life did happen. And there's no point in denying real life when it happens. No point in, in, in throwing it, in, you know, like, like I'm ignoring it. No, 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 you have to actually head straight into reality. You cannot act like it's not there. Christianity is not an uh, escapist idea. It's an actually, it's a resolving idea. It engages and faces the facts. But here's what Christianity does. It helps you to not lose hope in a better future. So the Bible is full of men and women who experience things like this. Um, just tell me if I need a switch, okay? Do a different mic. Um, the Bible is full of men and women who experience deep grief. I mean, 
soul-crushing despair. Um, I think of, you know, people like King David who, uh, after he had come back from a huge victory, comes back home and another nation have attacked his camp and stolen all his livestock and the, and the women and the children. You know, here he comes back from a, just a victory in war and finds that he, he doesn't have a nation anymore. He doesn't have a people anymore. And obviously he was so grieved. He was so in such despair. The whole camp with all his men were in despair. The men started talking about killing him because they wanted to blame somebody. How often, <laughs> you know, does the guy who stands out <laughs> get killed? Please don't kill me if things go wrong. Really? Because we need somebody to blame, don't we? The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. David knew where to find hope when all was lost. He knew all is never lost in God. But there were others. Um, that was once when David, something happened to David. And I want to make a point here. It's like sometimes our hopelessness, our despair, is something that happens to us. But how many of you have come to a point, I've been there in my life, where I reached a place of absolute despair because of my own stupidity, because of my own sin, in fact. Reached a place where I was so down, I was so, I was so, I couldn't break free and, and I didn't, and I, and, I, and, I, and I asked God to just take my life. Luckily, it's quite a, quite a number of decades ago, but the bottom line is I, I was there. I was there. David was there too. He writes in Psalm 38 verse 4, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden. That's too heavy to bear. Too heavy to bear. What I want you to see as I point out more individuals from Scripture that went through intense periods of despair and hopelessness is that God always restores them. God never gives up on them. Even in their darkest of dark places, God does not cast them away. He says, you're too valuable for me. We're going to move through this. We're going to move through this. The testimony of David's life and these other men is that Sometimes their despair preceded victory. Sometimes it actually was after glorious victories, but God never left them there. He always brought them back into hope, and he always fulfilled his purpose through them because they stayed faithful to following him. We know the testimony of God concerning David. The Bible says that God, God testified about David that he was a man after his own heart. That Bible says, after David had fulfilled God's purposes for his generation, he passed away. How many of you would love to come to the place where, where, where God's testimony about you is, Randy, you fulfilled my purposes for you for this generation. It's time to come home. Think about that. I want to be able to stand there and not hear anything other than, well done, good and faithful servant. You fulfilled your purposes. But how petty won't it be when we get there and we tell God, look, God, I'm a millionaire. Look, God, I, you know, I did this. Look, God, I had that. Look, God, you know. And he goes, maybe. Sorry, who are you? I never knew you. Or he might go, that's great, but none of that mattered. That's not what I called you for. But you know what? You did do some of it, and I'll reward you for that. 
So well done, faithful servant, for where you've been faithful. I just, I just want that moment for me, I just want that moment to be like a, a nothing, no buts. And, and I believe by the grace of God, there won't be any, but, but still in my own mind and heart, I'll, I, I, I know I'm going to probably get there and go like, oh, I could have done so much more. <laughs> but I, I, I don't want to rather wrestle with that now. Oh, I could have done so much more. It's like, I mean, if you've seen the, 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 the story Schindler's List, I mean, if you've watched the movie Schindler's List, honestly, I need to know. Okay, more people, okay. If you haven't watched Schindler's List, you know, that's a way better list to go and study than the bucket list, okay? Go watch Schindler's List. It's a drama. Be ready for it. You're going to cry. Be ready for it. But what it does is shows the picture of someone who's like, man, I wish I could have done so much more. I don't want to give it away, but at the end of the, at the, end of the movie, the guy takes, takes off the last bit of his possessions and just like, I wish I could, done, could have done more. I want to wrestle with that now, not one day in regret, but now in anticipation for what could happen. Come on, is anybody with me on that? There was David. Did I, did I mention? Where's my other people? Here's my other people. Sorry, today I'm on. All right, Elijah. Elijah was discouraged and weary that after a massive victory, he still had an influential authority threaten his life. Think about this. You just, you just had the greatest show off, showdown between God and false gods, and you were the guy that basically won and uh, won, won, won the, 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 the duel. And then after that, you get struck down by one person who threatens to kill your life. And he runs away. And after a while, he, I think, realized that, look, I just, <laughs> I just ran away for the threat of a single person while I was in the midst of over 400 prophets who were ready to kill me. And God showed himself faithful. And so at some point, he says this, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I've deserted you. I was stupid. I failed you. Just take my life. Elijah. One of the guys that saw the, some of the most spectacular miracles, barring Moses, right? Fire coming down from heaven, consuming an altar, stones and water and all. I'm not even talking about the sacrifice that was on it. It was like a sideshow. <laughs> it's like, there goes the sacrifice. Oh, there goes, oh, stones. Like, how do you consume stones? That's the miracles he saw. And then he got like, you know, taken up in a, in a, in a, in a chariot of fire. I mean, <laughs> who wouldn't want that, right? Come on. You know, there was that song a while back that, that we sang, um, Awesome Father, Awesome Father, you know. So when I kind of came into um, the, the renewed church, like, you know, non-denominational churches like this, I thought they, saw, they sang Horse on Fire. So for a while there, I was singing Horse on Fire. <laughs> I needed, I needed say, saving and sanctification so bad. <laughs> But here was Elijah, you know, just, just asking God to kill him. And, and God starts restoring him. God feeds him, gets him to rest, you know, feeds him, sends him to a place where he can be nourished. And God restores him in his ministry. And the same people that threatened to kill his life, he later confronts them again with the word of the Lord. And the Bible says the king repented. 
The king repented. And because the king repented, God's punishment was skipped a generation. God restored Elijah. Look at me. See, some of you here, you, you, you were in ministry before. God's going to restore you. I believe it's going to be a house of restoration for people who used to be in ministry. I don't know about you, but you need to know of each other. There are more than five, I think there are six people coming to our church that used to be pastors. God's sending y'all here to be restored. I'm not saying you need to go again and plant and lead a church, but he's going to store, restore that anointing and that ministry to you. Some of you are stepping into it already. Some of you are operating in it already. But God wants to restore the calling that he had on you. Do not let hopelessness and despair of what happened in your past keep you from what God has called you to become. Another person, Job. We all know Job's story, right? And think about it. Job lost practically everything. And then he had, he had friends who said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity, Job? Just curse God, man. Curse God and die. Just be done with this. Like, you know, we're even tired of your suffering now. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I mean, sometimes we have friends. Friends. You know? That give us advice. And that advice is not for us, it's for them. So they can be done with your issues. <laughs> Watch out for those friends who tell you, oh, you still believe in those church things? Oh, you, th you still believe God is real? Well, if God was real, why, 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 why? Be careful of those questions of those friends who feign care for you. A friend who does not push you into trusting Jesus and keep on keeping on in God is not a friend at all. Job maintained his faithfulness to God throughout his life. And I mean, he had it bad. Y'all know Job. He said this, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came out of my mother's womb? When he cursed the day he was born rather than cursing God. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. And of course, then there's the great debate between Job and God, where God says everything and Job, is not able to say nothing <laughs> because he just had no foot to stand on. And then God restores Job. And God gives back Job double of everything that he had lost. God is a God of restoration, y'all. But it does not mean that we won't go through tough things. It's interesting to know that God gave back Job um, double of every possession livestock, animals, and everything, but he only gave him back the same amount of children. You know why? Because Job still had the other children. <laughs> God received them. They were just waiting for him in the afterlife. So he did get double the amount of children. Moses was grieved over the sins of the people that he was leading, right? And I mean, he wanted, to just, he wanted to just check out. At some point he said, Now, Lord, please forgive their sin. Um, but if you're not going to forgive their sin, just, just block me out of the book you've written. I don't want to be associated with these people anymore. <laughs> That's where Moses was like. <laughs> if you're going to forgive them, then fine. Let's continue. But if not, just let us not even know that I brought them to this place. I don't want to even be named for this. And yet he brought them to the promised land. 
Jeremiah wrestled with great feelings of loneliness. Some would even say that he was, he was suffering with depression. He's also called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah wasn't listened to once in his whole tenure as a prophet. Imagine that. Imagine that. You're sent by God to bring messages of warning and, 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 and direction, and you're not listened to once. <laughs> no wonder he was like, what's the use? <laughs> They're not going to listen to me anyways. You might have come to that point where you go like, that family member or, or that, you know, that boss or that whatever. What's the use? He's not going to listen to me anyways. Curse be the day I was born, Jeremiah said. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow to end my days in shame? <laughs> Jeremiah didn't get very many reprieves in his lifetime. But look at the wisdom that he left for us. He wrote the book, Lamentations. How much wisdom do we draw from that? Even in his despair, God used him as a voice and as a, as a, as a, um, uh, a herald of his principles and of his nature and of his character. And so we read Jeremiah and we see the will of God through Jeremiah's declarations and prophecies. And we learn from that. Peter, the apostle, I will never disown you. <laughs> that same night. <laughs> I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Snap. But the Bible says he left and he wept. He wept. All of a sudden, he realized what he'd done, and he was so in despair that he left and he wept. And the Bible says that he even just dropped everything, and he expected God to reject him. He expected that he was a lost case. And what did he do? He left everything that Jesus had told him and called him to, and he just, he just went back and became a fisherman again. He abandoned all for self-condemnation and a hopelessness that nothing good can come out of what he had just done. And the amazing thing we see is <laughs> Jesus restores him. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. All right, go and feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Nice. Lord, you know I love you. I go tend my lambs. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Jared, do you love me? Rick, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. The Bible says, Peter broke down. Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an open book before you. Yes, I messed up. I, can, I wish I didn't. It's okay, Peter. I know. My grace is sufficient for you. God wants to pick you back up. He's the God of all hope. He's the God of all hope. 
to what caused you to lose hope that any of this can work, any of this can be real for you? Was it a, a traumatic event? Was it a, a hurtful childhood, strained relationship, serious health problem that's not resolving, crushing disappointment, a relationship or job or something, changeable, unchangeable circumstances, you know, life just never changes good for you? What's causing you to lose hope? Was it painful loss? Check any box, any of those or all of those. They cause us to want to lose hope. Listen to this quote. Hope is a wonderful gift from God. It's a source of strength and courage in the face of life's hardest trials. The Bible says hope is an anchor for the soul. Hope is an anchor for the soul. Hope keeps you in place from your from your purpose and from God's call on your life. And life might swing you around that pivot, but hope keeps you in place. And all you have to do is start taking the next pull forward toward what God has called you to do. And I want to show you a couple of things you can do to do that today. No matter what you have gone through, God has given us the resources to reestablish and to keep hope alive in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 10, Paul, who has also gone through extreme things, challenges, disappointments, betrayals, says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. And we might be struck down, but we are not destroyed. The reason why Paul could speak like that was because he, he had a living hope on the inside of his heart that the kingdom of God is going to manifest in his life. That the glory of God will become his reality. So I want you to listen carefully to three things you can do to spark hope back in your heart this summer. One is, and don't discount the simplicity here, it's reconnect to the word of God. Like I said, the Bible is written for real life. But when you, when you eat the Bible one day or a couple of days out of, a, out of a month, out of a year, your nourishment levels are very low. When life turns out harder than you expected, you need a steady source. You need a steady influx, inflow of hopeful words and promises and the experience of God when you read his word to establish and to keep your hope alive that no matter how hard things get, you will overcome in the end. Like I said, it might not be your fault. It might have been your fault. It doesn't matter. The Bible was written for you. So that as you meditate on those words and they become your words, you start getting hope established in your heart that it will turn out for the better. John 16, he says, I told you all these things so that you can have peace in me because in this world you will have trouble. But be brave. Be brave because I have defeated the world. If you need a strategy for how to overcome the world, who do you go to? The one that's still struggling or the one that overcame it? Hello? Obviously the one that won. You don't ask battle tips for the guy who's at the bottom of the log. Yeah? 
you, you, you look at the, 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 the team at the top of the log, and you start studying their patterns, start studying their defensive methods, their, their uh, you know, offensive uh, tactics. That's what you look to. Jesus is inviting us. This is what you do when you study the Bible. You're looking to the victorious one's tactics. You're looking to his game plan. And that'll help you overcome. But if you, if you haven't studied the game plan, man, you're going to be running all over the show. The team's going this way and you're out there running to the wrong post. Right? Y'all have that, you know, in American football where the kid picks up the ball and runs to the, runs to the wrong post? Huh? Or the guy kicks an own goal or something or they run to the wrong net. That's sometimes what the church looks like. <laughs> Why? Because most, so many of us don't study the game plan. We don't know what next. So we just think, oh, there's a, there's a nice thing. You know, oh, there's a, there's a, you know, oh, I want to be rich. Okay, good. Let's go there. No. <laughs> that might not be the right goal. Job 5, he said this, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. <laughs> Yo. I have the right perspective here. We are living in a real world that is broken. And to expect things to just go according to your desire is to just be, you know, immature. It's... it's it, it's not going to always work that way. And you're going to have to learn how to adjust your plan to whatever circumstances thrown at you. You're going to have to play the hand that was given to you. And to do that, you need a constant reminder of the game plan, but you also need the wisdom. It's like, oh my goodness, I just picked up something that has absolutely no. What do I do now? What's the new strategy, Lord? And you need constant input. And studying the Word of God is what gives you that, that relationship. It gives you that, that handy pocketbook, that, that, that strategy book that you can say, oh, what's the next play? This just happened. What's the next play, Lord? We all need that because we all have curveballs thrown at us. It's just reality. And if we don't recommit, if we don't commit to have steady inflow of God's Word, eventually we're left with just... You know, vestiges of, yeah, well, I remember one day they said something about, you know, um, you know, how to handle this situation. One day was one day a sermon in church. That's not enough to help you think on your feet in real life. You know, some of us are going through legal battles. You have to think on your feet often. And if you haven't got fresh word in your heart, all of a sudden, those very real challenges cause you to do things out of fear, out of anger, out of just v vindictiveness that turns out later and bites you in the behind. But if you know what the Bible says about these things and you can learn how to win your angry not to sin and, you, and, and you've had a fresh a revelation of God's peace that morning before you went into it, all of a sudden you handle that situation differently and more Good decisions like that, slowly but surely, pack up and, and add up and put you, in a forward, put you on the front foot. God wants us to, to come to a place where we realize this. And, and then we will be able to say, you know, that it doesn't matter what I go through. Nothing can separate me from God's love. 
If you have constant experience of God's word, you're constantly in connection with the affirmation and the guidance of God the Father. Paul wrote this. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger, or even a sword, weapons? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death or life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, or any powers, forces that come against us, neither, the, neither height nor depth or anything else in creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But it's not enough to just know that. You have to have a conviction for it. You have to experience that. You have to experience the security that comes with living in the presence of God. Knowing that if things turn against you, that it's temporary. And it's going to turn back in your favor. People don't realize how much our experience of God is related to our knowledge of God. And if you have error in your knowledge, if you have wrong knowledge about God, you'll have experiences that aren't even Him, that you'll think is Him. That's how people end up thinking that God made them sick or, you know, God stole their vehicle or, or something like that because they don't have a true understanding of who God really is. They mistake the devil for God. And so then they expect, okay, well, what, what, what can I do? What can I do? If God stole my car, how do I, how do I pray now? You can't. He made the decision. It's gone. You ain't getting it back. But if he didn't steal your car, you can appeal to him and he can restore you. Our hope is dependent on our knowledge of the word of, of God. And so we have to get into it. We have to read it for ourselves. So that's why we went on this journey this year to read the scripture, at least one chapter a day. It hardly takes you 10 minutes to read it. And it puts fresh ideas of God's principles in your heart and mind that you can meditate on during the day and think about and consider using in your practice as you go. So sign up for those things. It's through studying scripture that we grow our experience of God because the Holy Spirit echoes scripture back to us. But it's a partnership. We have to put spirit into our heart and mind. Like, like, like David said, I have put your, I've buried your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then the Holy Spirit reminds us of the word that we have buried in our heart. And we use that to make decisions. And we make better decisions that way. And the kingdom of God backs our decisions because we're making them according to his will. We even pray more according to his will because we understand more of his will because we've learned about him. 119, Psalm 119, By your words I can see where I'm going. They throw a beam of light in my dark path. By your words I can see where I'm going. The second thing that we need to do is reconnect with the people of God. God gives us people to cope with in life. To cope life, to cope with in life. Not, we don't have to cope with the people. You know, it's not the, the people helps us to cope. They don't cause us to have to cope. <laughs> Sometimes there are people that cause us to have to cope. But then God gives you people to help you cope with those people also. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend is always a friend. Another translation says, A friend loves at all times. A friend is always a friend. If they fall out of friendship, they weren't really a friend. A friend is always a friend. And relatives are born to share our adversity. Some of you go, Oh, my family, I don't want nothing to do with them. No. God put you in this family 
so that you can shine his light there. But what's the point? Exactly the point. <laughs> Somebody needs to stay there and say the truth. Don't write off your family. Keep praying for them. Keep engaging them. Um, and then the beautiful th verse in James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Here's the thing though, who wants to confess their sins to complete strangers? I don't. <laughs> I would rather come and confess my sins you know, to Tiger or, or guys that I've walked with a little. That, that, that they know me and they know that, man, that's out of character, right? So something that happened and, and we're going we're gonna to quickly, quickly get in there and help that, right? right? You want to confess your sins to people that you've walked a little bit with. And then when those people pray for you, you get the affirmation of friendship, of love. People that believe in you, they know you better and they help remind you who you truly are. That's how you overcome sin, by remembering who you truly are. Because when you remember who you truly are, you have no desire for sin. You need people that get to know you before they can remind you of who you really are. But you know, you need people that knows Jesus inside you. Not people that know you from, and many of you know each other. Like I can't get into a conversation with somebody new. Then they don't go like, oh, and I know this one. And no other. Oh, okay, so we're practically family. It's just like ridiculous. Y'all are all basically family in this place. But... The bottom line is, there came a point in time where the disciples had to choose not to keep remembering Jesus as Jesus the Christ. They had to make a flip around and started understanding that he was Christ Jesus. He was the Messiah. And they had to know him in the spirit, not according to the flesh. They had to switch and they had to let go of the physical Jesus and grab a hold of the resurrected Jesus. And so for each and every one of us, I have to, if I knew you before you got born again, I have to let go who that was. I can't remember you for all the things you messed up in high school. I can't keep recalling all the things you messed up in you know, your previous life and business and in relationships. I have to let that go and I have to know you according to who you are now in Jesus Christ. Because that identity is where victory lies. That identity is where hope is kept alive. And I have to remind you of who you are there. And so don't worry if I don't know your, your background. I know you now. And you are in Christ now, a new creation. And that's all that matters to me. But I wanna see that identity come to its fullness. And so that's why we're building towards growing each other. And that causes, that requires relationships. It requires that you don't walk on your own. And that's why just coming to church isn't enough. Because this isn't where we build relationship. This is where we get the perspectives and the teaching and are confronted with the truth that then we go to our, what they call, life groups. And that's where transformation takes place. That's where your life change. It it, it, life change happens in circles, not in rows. Here you're confronted with the truth and you realize that you need to change, but how do you walk it out? It's discussed, processed, and implemented during our times together. So what do you guys mean you know, when you say this? How do you do that Monday to Friday? Well, here's how I do it. Well, here's how I do it. You know what I found? I found this. All right, I'm going to give it a try. 
That's where really the rubber meets the road. That's why we all need to be in those life group relationships because that's where discipleship takes place. And discipleship is about growth, not about getting more knowledge. In other words, there has to be change lifestyles. It has to change the way you make decisions. It has to change the way you act. It has to change your priorities. Otherwise, you are not growing. And that's why you need to reconnect with the people of God. And it's not enough to just go, hey, how are you been? Oh, how was the week? Oh, it was tough. Oh, okay. Let's quickly pray. Okay, good. And then nothing after that. No, it's not enough. That's why Jesus had the ministry to the crowds. He had the ministry to, the, to, the, to the, the multitudes and then to the crowds and then to the few and then to his core disciples. And we all need to be in all of those settings. We need to be in, a, in the greater body of Christ. We need to be in a crowd where, you know, in a, a community like this where we're, where we're, you know, sitting and receiving the instruction, but we also need to be in a group of 12-ish <laughs> where we get to process the disciples went after everything was all said and done and Jesus retreated with them privately. They're like, Jesus, when you said that, what did you mean by that? And then Jesus would explain to them, like he explained when Tommy talked about the, you know, the parable of the sower. And they were still like, you know, in the fields with the seed and with the birds and the whatnot. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus was like, guys, 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 it's about the word. It's about letting the word of God take fruit in your hearts. And they're like, oh, that's neat. Well, yeah, you all needed this 12-ish group to clarify that for you. That's why I'm so, so adamant that our church will be focusing on three things. It's worship services, it's life groups, and it's missions. And we're going to do mostly just that. And if there's anything else we do, it's going to be a one-off thing just because we felt like it. But the bottom line is our focus is on being here, being in relationships outside here where we do life with other people and to make a difference and to share the gospel with people out there in the community where we work and live. That's our mission. And sometimes those missions will be overseas and sometimes they'll be just right here, you know, in good old Crowley. But that's what we do. That's what we do. We're the people of God, and we need to connect with the people of God. And here's, the, here's, here's, here's another important thing. No matter how you swing it, people always have an influence on you. No matter how you try to justify being with people and think that they're always going to influence you, always. And so what, what, what happens is they, they mold us into an image that is consistent with the values and the virtues that is shared amongst each other in that group. Right? And so ask yourself, what is your group? Where's your, where's your tribe? Where's your people? What are the values, the priorities, and the, and, the, and, and, and the virtues that are shared in that group? And ask yourself, do you believe any different than that? You probably don't. Not if you've been with that group for maybe a lifetime. And so that's why we have to, if you're going to grow, you have to introduce more people into your life. You have to associate with people that share different values, who have very values that echo Scripture. And that's why it's so important. The Bible says, bad company corrupts good character. But it also commands us, do not allow this world to mold you into its image. Instead, be transformed from the inside out by renewing your mind. You can't renew your mind if you're stuck in that same group. I'm not saying... 
leave the group. I'm saying you have to carefully decide how much time you're going to spend with it and intentionally start spending time with a group of people that is going to influence and mold you and help you to be transformed according to the Word of God. Yes? So it requires you to not put yourself in the wrong position where you're going to be molded because molded you're going to be. When you're in the right company, you can be like Proverbs 27 says, iron sharpens iron, and so one person sharpens another, but you, 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 you can also become duller, right? And so the right company will sharpen you for the purposes of God and the truth of God, the kingdom of God. That's why the Bible says, hey, be excellent in what is good, but be innocent of evil. You don't need to know all of the things that all of these people know that are currently you know, alive to the world and to its desires and its priorities. You don't need to know all that. And sometimes in our desire to want to be like, you know, relevant or recognized, we become dull to the purposes of God. But we're so sharp with every hip and happening thing around us. Be excellent in what is good. Be innocent toward evil. And the last thing we need to reconnect to is we need to reconnect to the mission of God. I want to say this. There's, there's, there's few things that create such, a, such an excitement and, and a new perspective in one's heart than missions. Than you having an impact on somebody else's life. You helping somebody else through something that they were struggling with. You sharing your testimony with people of how you got reestablished in your relationship with God. How you got hope again. Man, it's exhilarating. It's exhilarating seeing somebody's hope switch back on because you ministered to them. But here's what we need to know is you get to choose your response in life. Whether you grow or stagnate, or even run away. They're all choices that I make, that you make. They're all your choices. None of those things are done to you. There might have been stuff that was done to you, but you chose to walk away. You chose to stagnate. But you could have made a different decision too. In the midst of all of this, we need to choose to run toward God, not away from God. Run toward his people, run toward his word, run toward his purposes. And as we do that more and more and more, we reconnect with his mission. His mission is first growth in our own lives, but it's also influence out of our lives. Look at me very carefully, everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, how down and out you've been, where you come from. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are from. God wants to employ you in his purposes. And God wants to influence this world through you. It doesn't matter what age you are. God wants to influence the world through you. And it starts with you learning just how do I talk to people about my faith in Jesus Christ? How do I give a reason for the hope that is living inside me? Every single one of us need to reconnect to that.
Somehow the church has lost this impetus, this urgency to share the gospel. Look at me. It was the first and original purpose of the church. It's to make known the knowledge of God. To tell people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the first thing that they went out doing. And it still needs to be the central thing that as as a church we are focused on. We have to regain that. We have to regain that. Um, and it comes down to our decisions. I decide to do that. It's not something that, okay, well, if I have an opportunity. No, I create opportunity. I ask people questions. I ask them questions about their belief, about their, you know, their whereabouts, their activities. I try to figure out somehow are they in any formal way connected to God. And if they're not, I encourage them by telling them, you know what? The greatest hope in my life is that I have been saved by Jesus and that he has given me a purpose in this life. And from that, I get all of my positivity, all of my faith, all of my go forward. I get from that. You need some of that. I know it doesn't make sense to you right now, but you need to think about that. And if you need to talk to me, I'm here. Let's talk. Let me me show you how this works. We have to regain that, you know, that passion to share people, to share the Jesus inside of us with people, to share the hope on the inside of us with people. And if you're finding yourself where you're kind of struggling, you know, just stepping out and telling somebody about the hope that is inside of you because of your salvation starts a snowball effect happening in your life again. And all of a sudden, hope is switched back on. Hope in enables you to start believing again. Hope enables you to start making better decisions again. So how do I reconnect with the mission of God amidst trouble? I'm going to give you a couple of pointers and then we're going to bring it to a close today. Number one, don't be led by your emotions. They're terrible leaders. Your emotions will tell you where you're at. And that's about all that they're able to tell you. And you need to recognize where they tell you you're at. Don't deny that. Don't live in denial. Yes, I recognize this is where I am at. But your emotions can't.